all of us, all beings, want love, safety, and belonging. And so what I'm hearing is that this coffee shop <laughs> is really an expression of your desire to provide love, safety, and belonging. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Hi again, this is Dan Putt from Reboot. Hey Dan, would you mind if I take this? Hey folks, it's Jerry. Hi. I know it's a bit out of the ordinary for me to do the introduction to our podcast, but I don't know. This conversation was just a bit different for me. You know, maybe it was the fact that I cried so deeply during our talk. Maybe it's the topic. This feeling sense of the otherness that both Virginia and Iris have felt at times in their lives. I'm not really entirely sure. All I know is that the conversation with Virginia and Iris shook me, turned the snow globe of my heart upside down, shaking until a storm set in. It took me a few days to parse through my reaction. And through a conversation with Allie, I came to know my feelings even better. There are times in your life as a coach when you are simply blown back in your chair by the courage, strength, and wisdom of your clients. Leading a camp or a workshop, it's just, it's just easy to fall into the ego-aggrandizing trap of thinking of yourself as some wise teacher, or in my case, a wise old man with white hair, ready to bestow enlightenment on the other. And then there are conversations like that you're about to listen to. Conversations that break through the bullshit of me as the teacher, apart from you, the other, as student. Conversations where our shared experience of struggling for happiness in these temporary meatbags we call ourselves are made viscerally apparent. As you'll hear, when Virginia came to our boot camp, she had no idea what she had signed up for. None of us did. But her radical inquiry into self and her resulting discovery affirmed what we at Reboot have suspected all along. That it's not really us who do the work. It's the campers. It's the clients. It's each of you listening to these conversations who do the work. Yeah, even you, listening. Maybe even as you're running on a treadmill or stuck in traffic or something. You're doing the work right now. Just more than two years after we started this crazy experiment of a show, and based on the emails we've received, we've come to know that you listen with the bravely broken open heart necessary for the work. Our role as coaches, facilitators, guides is emotionally demanding, intellectually simple, and spiritually nourishing. Our role is to create the conditions for you to do the work while bearing witness to your actualizations 
as the adult human you were born to be. It's that simple, that magical, and that beautiful. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's powerful, it's deep, and hopefully it'll make you laugh as well. Thanks. Hi, my name is Bobby Brannigan. I'm the CEO of Mercado. We're a food marketplace for independent retailers. So if you're on the fence of going to a boot camp, I would say that not going is probably one of the worst decisions you'll ever make because you really don't know, you know how much it's going to benefit you until you go to one. And you can ask anybody who's gone to one. I'm saying any single person you ask, they're going to rave about it because I haven't heard of anybody who's gone that hasn't valued it very highly. We're only hosting one CEO and co-founder bootcamp in 2017. It will be held March 30th through April 2nd in Boulder, Colorado. The application deadline is just around the corner on November 15th. But if you want to ensure your spot, I highly suggest you apply today. Our last two bootcamps filled well before the registration deadline. You can learn more and apply at reboot.io slash bootcamps. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. David White from the House of Belonging. My name is Virginia. I met Jerry, I guess, two years, three years ago. Yeah, maybe three years ago. Yeah, it might have been three years ago. And uh, I've I've done a few companies, and the latest one is a community-oriented business called Cuties. And Iris, I've known for a little bit longer than Jerry, and we met in L.A., um, and she's joining me on this on this next this next project. And Iris, uh, so we can hear your voice, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Iris. Uh, I am a, a gender-fluid queer person, and I started working in the film industry. That's my background. And um, I left it about three or four years ago to um, figure out what else I could do that would be more fulfilling and more in line with who I am as a person. And Virginia and I met and started talking about similar goals and what we wanted out of work and life. And we started uh, formulating the concept that is cuties that we're working on right now. And I'll, I'll fill in that part of my identity because I think it's going to be important for context. I, I, as a startup founder, I did a couple of companies presenting mail. I'm a transgender female. And basically after boot camp, I went through a series of uh, things after, after I attended boot camp with Jerry, with you, um, I went through a series of processes to sort of understand uh, and get in touch with myself a lot more. And one of the things that came out of that was me deciding to actually go through this process of transitioning to female, which is something that I've always wanted. Um, And so this next thing that I'm doing with Iris is um, largely informed by um, what has taken place since I made that decision. So, uh, Virginia, because you know me, this is going to feel really familiar So I just want to pause and I just want to honor that. And you guys are going to make me cry from the very beginning. And so with your permission, I'd like to identify that my name is Jerry and I identify as a white male and I am cisgendered. 
And I just got goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for sharing, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are just listening, I just waved my hand under my uh, chin to say, wow. Okay. Because um, one of the things that is deeply, deeply important to me is to make space for human beings to show up. Now, I happen to believe that full human beings showing up in their fullness of their mess and their loveliness and their beauty and their craziness make incredible entrepreneurs. It just so happens to be there. So I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. And, and uh, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, if there's anything about the journey that you can share with us and, and really connecting it to cuties would be really powerful. So perhaps, Virginia, you could tell us a little bit more about that experience. Sure. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, when you go through, when you go through a process um, of sort of deciding to honor yourself um, despite what a lot of advantages that, that you may have or that you may have enjoyed um, and, and sort of go um, in the opposite direction that a lot of society may want you to go, um, you really find out what's important to you. <laughs> um, and a lot of the trappings that, that I would get caught up with, um, with business and um, with capitalism as a whole, but just my place in it, um, kind of washes away. And so cuties is, is really born out of the, the need that I had to connect with other queer individuals and other trans individuals and, and, and spend my time working on something that created that space Mm -hmm. and created space for others. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like, um, in every instance where I've had this like new chapter, uh, that's blank ahead of me, I've sort of tried to look at like what are what are the things that I can bring to the table that are unique or more advantageous um, in certain areas, uh, so that I can execute something that other people value. And and that that really happened to be the ability to raise money, the ability to open a shop. I've been in the coffee industry now for going on like six years in a pretty big way, and so it seemed to make sense to sort of marry the idea of trying to build more community with a space uh, that allows more of our community to show up and to be and exist. And we really came to that conclusion through a lot of discussion because I, I started talking about a project with Iris shortly after I left Blue Bottle. Um, and for those of you that are listening, I, I had a company that was bought by Blue Bottle and I served as a director there for about a year and while coffee is fulfilling, I, I, I wanted to use it for, for a purpose that is um, a little bit closer to home. Mm-hmm. And I think Iris did too. Mm-hmm. So Iris, uh, you know, just sort of turning to you for a moment, uh, I'm imagining uh, that, and, and, and I wonder too, if you also identify as a coffee addict the way 
Virginia does. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so. a, that's a funny story. Um, I actually am, I am not a coffee drinker. I actually what? don't. I know. I'm starting a coffee shop. I'm sorry, and there's I no room for that in this. No. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, let's just say we're, we're going to have a very good tea program right, at the coffee right. shop. <laughs> um, I came at the idea more from, you know, Virginia and I had a lot of conversations and she would come over and we'd talk and I think I kind of identified with Virginia's free floating feeling after Blue Bottle because I had left the film industry for about three years and I was, I had taken different jobs and I was working in different capacities and nothing was really sticking and talking with her, I think what came out of this was I, you know, identifying her skills in the coffee industry, but also connecting that with the concept that coffee is, can be a very egalitarian product and it is a low cost to entry and historically, like my background is in the arts, like so many artistic movements, so many revolutions, so many political movements have started in coffee shops because you have different factions of society coming together over something that binds them together that is very accessible or has been accessible in the past. And in my mind, that was this perfect marriage of like, let's have a coffee shop that is accessible and welcoming, open during the daytime, is not alcohol focused, which I think a lot of queer LGBT venues like clubs, dance venues, bars, um, obviously there's no issue with that and they represent a very important part of the community. But having daytime spaces, having all ages spaces, those are, we are in dire need of those. And a coffee shop just made so much sense to meet those needs. So... Can we hang out in this space for a little bit? Absolutely. And there's that word again. I, I must, you know, I take notes a lot during these these conversations, and and I just keep writing the word space, 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 mm-hmm. space, space. And like you're you're both nodding, like that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? It is. Say I more think, about yeah. that. Yeah. I I think I think a lot of a lot of queer and trans individuals just don't feel like they have space. Um, they have to retreat into their homes. Sometimes they're even, you know, coming out of their door in many cases is a revolutionary act. Um, they are, uh, oftentimes berated, assaulted, um, verbally abused just to get on a bus and show up at a place that they're required to be at every day. Mm-hmm. And so what we really wanted to do is, is use whatever commercial means we had possible that was, you know, ideally a very fast to profitability commercial means to create more space for us, Mm -hmm. just more Mm -hmm. as much as possible. Basically. Mm -hmm. Um, if there is, you know, if there is, you know, a business that is open during the daytime that is visibly and, um, you know, outwardly spoken about being queer and being a safer space, it, it does make a huge difference. And I feel like I I didn't really understand how big safer spaces was because I never took advantage of them up until recently. But when a safer space is a clinical space or it is a, um, or an LGBT center or something where there is somebody verifying whether or not you belong in that space, it can be intimidating no matter whether or not you do belong in that space or not, because there's something about your identity that they're looking for and that they're asking you to prove in some cases. And we felt that coffee was a way where it's, it's sort of this, this open, you know, you don't, 
you don't need to prove anything to us. We're just here to open our doors and you can come get a cup of coffee with everyone else. Um, and it's also a means to sort of subsidize space for our community with the dollars from people who live in that community. Let me see if I can reflect this back because I really want to make sure I'm taking it in because I think sure. you've just made a really important point, at least for me to understand. And first, just from, from context sending, um, queer people in general face a certain kind of discrimination and trans people in particular are, if I remember my statistics right, four or five times more likely to be assaulted and murdered Yep. than any other identifying group. Especially trans and queer people of color. Especially trans and queer people of color. And I just want to let the audience take that number in. That's 400 to 500 percent more likely. That's an extraordinary number. It is. And one doesn't even have to be aware of that statistic to be 13, 14 years old and know that I better not say who I am. I better not be who I am. Does that resonate yeah. with the two of you? Oh, one, 100%. Right. I remember growing up as queer in um, Northern Virginia, like a Southern state, and um, being very aware of Matthew Shepard, Brandon Tina, to queer and trans. Yeah. And, um, I'm sorry. No, it's really sad. Matthew um, Shepard's story always kills me. This was the, the young man, for those who may not remember, uh, and the Indigo Girls have a beautiful song about him called Crucified. Who was crucified? who was identified and he was crucified. And uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Iris, with my no. own stuff. No, don't don't apologize. It's a very, I'm kind of holding things back a little. <laughs> um, it's, I grew up in the shadow of that. Like I grew up in the shadow of if someone found out who I was, I remember I had a, um, I had a partner when I was about 13 and, um, we would go out and they would dress, they would dress as male. So we would be perceived as a heterosexual couple, but I remember being terrified if someone found out who my partner was or who society perceived them to be and us being found out and violence being committed against us. Um, right. it was a very real fear. Right. Right. And, um, so to take it back to this notion of space, and let's take it back to this other notion that I think is equally important that's implicit in all this. You know, at the boot camp, we often talk about the fact that all of us, all beings, want love, safety, and belonging. And so what I'm hearing is that this coffee shop... <laughs> is really an expression of your desire to provide love, safety, and belonging 
to a non-alcohol drinking daytime population of all ages <laughs> who may in fact like also a nice little piece of coffee cake on the side with a cup of tea. Yeah. 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 And, you know, um, the importance of that uh, is super powerful. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to the two of you for having the bravery to step into this space and be able to take uh, the chances that you're taking, entrepreneurial chances, to, to be able to do that. I think it's a, you're setting a beautiful example for uh, the ways in which we can be together as human beings um, and get over our own fears. Um, so how... How did you – I'm fascinated by so many aspects of this story. How did you come to the place of saying – in Virginia, I think I, I have an awareness about this, but what was that like saying to yourself, you come, you're at the boot camp, and if I remember, you were sick as a dog. I was. I was. I I wanted to go so bad. Like I knew there was some reason I wanted to go um, that just compelled me to, um, you know, kind of pin the doctor down and be like, "Am I endangering people if I go? And like, when can I go?" And and going pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. You had this like awful flu. So like my original memories of you. Forget about what you presented as. My original memory of you is with tissues at your nose. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so what happened at the boot camp? That did, and and was was it a part of this process of becoming who you are? It was. It certainly was. I, I think I think there's there's a lot that I came away with from the boot camp, which is mostly that that my my strength comes from from being as authentic as possible and and i'd i'd already identified a pattern of the people that chose to work with me again or um hadn't worked with me before and and really their their feedback predominantly has been they just enjoy the authenticity with which i i manage and and communicate and work and when i got to the boot camp i was like well, there's so much more <laughs> like I can't I can't be like there's a whole nother level of authenticity there that I can't even touch unless I go through this process of understanding who I am and finding out what type of leadership comes from comes from that that person because I'm not I'm not tapping into that person like did, that person is afraid did you oh that's what it was because I was curious did you know I mean, I know that no one comes to the boot camp knowing what's going to end up happening. But did you have an inkling that Virginia needed to to, to come alive? Um, and for those for those, I, I went by the name of Nick before, um, and I so I mean Nick <laughs> Nick did not know. Um, I I didn't really know what was going to come out of the boot camp. I. I felt that like the the references that I had for the boot camp, the people that I knew that were your supporters and fans and and sort of um, 
they, they, I, I trust them so much. Mm. And I also felt like I'd been, I'd been going along this, this, you know, sort of startup executive path, kind of, you know, meandering. <laughs> and, and I felt like, well, it's time to invest in sort of trying to understand what this leadership path could be. Um, because it's clear after, it was clear after the, the company Tonks that I was going to stay in sort of this executive position and not go back to being a programmer or software engineer um, or tech lead. And the people, the people is what I, I, I loved. Like I love leading the people and I love managing the people and I love building the team and I love, I love seeing people grow. Um, and I, so this seemed like a way for me to sort of understand my own path in that. And I had no clue that it would unlock a lot of the same things that on a personal level, I was compartmentalizing completely away from my, my business self, like not even touching, like, um, and, and I think that that compartmentalization was what broke down, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in part, because it was clear that if I didn't, if I didn't integrate all of that, I would, um, I would never, I would never be the leader that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I have to keep pausing because, you know, I do the work I do. You've heard me tell this story before. I do the work I do because in so many ways I'm trying to go back in time and save the 38 year old Jerry from the suffering that I went through and living lies and living in a way that was compartmentalized, where, as I often say, the inside of who I am did not match the outside of who I am. Yeah. And I would say those things blithely. And Virginia, you're telling a story, and Iris, you're telling the story, and I keep thinking of your 13-year-old, 14-year-old partner. In effect, where viscerally the outside does not match the inside. And not because of any choice that you're necessarily making, but because of the fear of what the outside world, how others will react to. And so what I'm hearing you say is, in a sense, and it's taking my breath away, the importance of the work that we at at my little company is trying to do is to create the ability for people to step forward and, and bring the fullness out there and you know to be clear I don't think that this is anything that Jerry does I think I'm just channeling work of very very wise wise people who have come before me and um, so so you're at the camp this is happening stuff is stirring up and you leave the camp Mm -hmm. now Iris you knew Virginia at this time when did you, what year did you go to the yeah, camp? Yeah, you knew me. It was 2000, I guess it was 2013 that I went to the camp. It was around. Oh, I did. Yeah, it was around the time when I had met, um, you know, Virginia presenting as Nick, presenting as male. Um, yeah. I was introduced to her in that way. And I remember meeting Virginia and there was always something like she always went up and talked to me at different events, but she would be very quiet and almost seemed like she was holding her breath very tightly and I was always really happy to see her. She was always really sweet. And um, I just, 
she had a magnetism. Like I was very, you know, drawn to her, but I felt this holding in and I felt a little bit of a wall. Mm. And, um, I remember it was a month after you had started hormone, um, hormone affirming therapy and you walked up and it was like, she had exhaled. Ah, and you know, thank you for that image because I remember Nick (laughs) and what I'm going to say about Nick was Nick is Nick is because Nick is sort of out there in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Nick is fucking awesome. Virginia is incredible. But Nick is awesome. And I remember thinking when I met Nick, this is someone who can raise money. This is a startup executive. This is a leader. I'm going to keep an eye on Nick. But Iris, I I know what you mean because now I'm remembering Virginia. You participated, but there was a little holding back, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. There was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that, you know, at the time it was like, okay, that, I, you know, I wouldn't have called it introverted, but I would have said, okay, that, you know, I also thought you were sick. Yeah. Right? right? So it's interesting to me to know that that was also sort of going on for you at that time. So let's fast forward. So what's that? And for both of you, what has this transition and this journey and, you know, Virginia, I'm sorry, Iris, I want to recognize your own identity. Uh, I think you said you're gender fluid. And um, what's it been like in, the, in this um, spectrum that you live at this point? Well, I think uh, being partners with Virginia has helped me be more out with my gender fluid identity and put a name to it and a face to it. Like even when I was really young, I remember dressing in clothes attributed to other genders, identifying more with male characters or more masculine characters. I remember kind of switching between the two and sometimes being in a place that is neither one or the other. And seeing Virginia give herself permission to be her true self has really helped me give myself more permission and hold space for myself to be who I am, which has been amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I also, I was um, in a heterosexual relationship for about a decade and queer people in heterosexual relationships get erased because it's assumed, Oh, you're with someone of a different sex. Therefore you must be straight. And that was hard. I felt, I felt invisible and, you know, part of being with Virginia helped me be more out, helped me realize that that relationship was not my identity and not where my future was. Mm -hmm. So let's take it into the business if we can. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, Your co-founders? Mm-hmm. And what roles do you play within the company? What 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 functional roles do you play? So I I have been doing a lot of sort of the putting together of materials of how to ask for money, putting together um, you know the accounting, doing all the executive things, making sure all the legal stuffs in line, um, 
making sure that sort of a lot of the outreach that we do to other um, other businesses and other uh, partners that we may have in LA um, is robust because there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also just sort of been um, sort of co-producing a lot of events with Iris. Um, and I'll let you describe what you do. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like to look at myself as the, the major connection between us and the community. I write the newsletter, which we put out weekly, that gives people a heads up about different events in the queer community in Los Angeles. Um, I also co-produce the events with Virginia. I advertise the events on social media. I reach out to different community members to either get help or get the word out. Um, I've also, my background is in the art, so I help design the deck in terms of the design and what direction we want to go to with the aesthetics of the shop. Um, putting Also putting a historical perspective, um, LGBTQ history has been a major passion of mine and connecting that because there is a there are all these reference points through history um like what the 1920s were and how you know there was all this commingling of different different genders to different ethnicities there were a lot of walls being broken down in the 20s and i see a lot of parallels to now what's happening in the teens as we go into the 20s in this century and i wanted to acknowledge and honor that with the design and the artistic expression of the coffee shop and also have that influence us as we move forward. So is the coffee shop itself, the aesthetics of it, is it going to um, evoke Berlin in the 1920s? A little bit for sure. We definitely Which would want to be awesome. Little, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we want to definitely have like a little bit of an art deco vibe. We want it to feel very modern, but I love those aesthetics like kind of playing with gender playing with geometry versus softness hard edges versus curves like I think that that period really Mm. did a lot of interesting things in terms of aesthetics with that and so that's that's Mm. one of the contributions that I've been making also I feel like my main drive has been how can we make this space more inclusive Mm. because I've been outside of the community while I was in that relationship I wasn't in the queer community I was kind of taken out of it because I didn't feel like I would be accepted or I was afraid of being erased. And so I thought, oh, well, I'm, this is who I am and this is who I have to be and these are the friends that I need to have. And mm-hmm. since letting that go, I'm like, I don't, want any, I don't want anyone to feel erased. And I want everyone, no matter where they are on that spectrum, whether they're gay, bisexual, lesbian, transgender, queer, asexual, an ally, I don't want them to, I want them to feel welcome and embraced. And how do we do that? Also making sure people of color in our community feel welcome, embraced, celebrated. Also people with differing abilities. Like those are the people who often get forgotten and left behind and erased um, in these uh, movements. And age diversity too. Yeah. Age diversity as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a true place of belonging, you know, a true sense of, uh, uh, place there. So, uh, how's it been going, and and uh, uh, what are the things that keep you guys up at night? We, it's been going so incredibly well that it's. Are it's, you bullshitting me? I am not bullshitting you. Okay. So all right. So no, there are no there more are challenges. Crush- okay, good. There are challenges. <laughs> However, um, we have we've kind of been blown away at how how people have been coming out. We've been doing these events, not not coming out as in coming out of the closet, but just showing up in the community. We've been throwing these events since March, and very quickly people have sort of uh, given us a lot of feedback that we 
we didn't necessarily expect, although I, I think we hoped we would get it, but they, they, they think that our spaces and they feel that our spaces are, are very relaxing and very sort of, they're, they're often taken advantage of by people with social anxiety and they are, they're places where every single type of person can come and mingle. And there's not really, there's not really an intention past serving coffee and donuts. So it's, there's, uh, there's a relaxedness to it, um, where there's no one enforcing anything. There's no one judging you. It's, it's a, there's no start time. There's no end time that is like finite. It is just, we're open and you can come by and get coffee and donuts and meet some people in your community. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It's not a mixer. It's not like a discussion group. It's not for dating. It's not any one thing. Um, if you want to come and just open your laptop, and read the newspaper. Yeah. You're welcome to sit there and have a cup of coffee and be in a community of people who are going to take you as you are and, and, and be with you and accept you, whoever you are, however you show up. Do I have yeah. that? Yeah. You do. And it's usually in a, in a residential setting. Iris mm-hmm. has been hosting it out of her house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had... Um, We've had a, a huge range of ages and um, races and just all sorts of people that just just fills our heart. Um, mm. I think we've we've also started to um, you've started to open your space a lot for the community, that same community that shows up. But like we we started to see that having the space to go was important. Mm. People because of the the challenges of getting out of your house when you're queer, a lot of these people don't go out much. Mm. Um, and so you have started to offer up your house when there are major events that happen within our community and just say like, this space is here. It exists. Use it if you want. Mm. Mm. Um, I can tell it. I mean, to go back to your question about what's keeping us up at night. One thing that we do lose sleep over is uh, Orlando happened this past year. Um, the shooting in Orlando that was targeted against LGBT people of color um, in particular. And I remember the day after it happened or the day it happened, Virginia and I looked at each other and we were thinking, how can we do this? Like, how can we open up a space where we potentially could be targeted for violence? And I think that was a f- coming from a place of fear, obviously. Um, the other, the next thought that came into our minds was how can we not we need this space now more than ever. Mm-hmm. We need to be brave. We need to be strong. And we need to create this space in the face of this violence and this hatred. Mm-hmm. Because the world is not going to change unless we change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that shooting well. And I, I also remember the day after. The day after I actually recorded a podcast interview with uh, a dear friend of mine named Conda Mason. And Conda is... Uh, uh, a black woman, queer, who is a leader in the tech community in the Oakland area. And uh, it was a very powerful conversation. And one of the things that was really powerful, and I cried in that one too, was uh, she said to me, would you trade places with a black woman today in America? And the answer was no, I wouldn't. And I had to sort of 
be honest with myself. Because I would not, because that my fear, right? And, and to confront the fact that I have privilege and power um, is in a powerful, powerful experience. It's an important experience. And I could never say to you two, you gorgeous young entrepreneurs, you should do this because it's not mine to suggest. But I can say to you that this old white guy has got your back. And I'm from Brooklyn. And I'm pretty fucking tough. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. We're glad you have our back. Yeah. We need folks like you, as many of them as we can get. Yeah. Well, we need folks like you, as many of them as we can get. So, you know, I just want to open it up if there's anything that I can do to be helpful, um, both in this conversation and beyond. You know, one of the reasons I was so looking forward to this conversation is that I know that when we all speak our stories and tell our stories, it's a form of creating safe space. So let me ask each of you, um, if there's anything that you would say to the 15-year-old Iris. Oh, boy, that's hard. Um, I tell her it's going to be okay. (laughs) And I tell her, you know, I don't want to tell her to not be afraid because there are going to be scary things that happen. Um, But I want to tell her that the more she can show people who she is and the less she can hide, the more open she is, the more people that will come into her life who will want to be with her and protect her and love her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And Virginia, this is a little bit of a special assignment. There's a Nick out there <laughs> who's listening right now. And I'm just wondering if you had any message for that, Nick. <sighs> You know, I I think about people who are in my spot a fair amount and it's always hard it's always hard to know what to tell them to do because it's not it's not simple mm-hmm. and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But I I do think that I do think that hiding and I think that not being aware of the damage that compartmentalization can do and chasing after various like other uh, accomplishments um, like safety is is kind of an illusion Mm -hmm. in many ways and I think that I think that trying to be safe by not acknowledging who you are is a convoluted and painful path 
and it, or it can be, it was for me, and it has been for a lot of the people in my community. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that taking the time, taking the time and taking, oh, this is, this is hard. I struggle not to encourage people too directly to come out a lot. Um, I know I know several people who are sort of either deciding not to transition or mid-transition, and they're not they're not as sure-footed as I am. Yeah. But I do think I do think the more authentic you can be, the more the more you'll carve out space for people who really love you. Yeah. And the more you'll figure out what you need, because if you're feeding the wrong need, it's just going to keep eating. Mm. I think that was brilliant. I think that was beautiful. And, you know, it, it would be easy and facile and in a sense false to just simply say, be who you are and that's it. It's a much more complex world than that. Uh, my own feeling is that, and if you remember from the first night of the camp, we often talk about this, don't delude yourself. One of the dangers I experience in the compartmentalization and the denial of my own self was when I would pretend to myself It may not be safe from the world in the moment where you are, with the parents that you have, with the community in which you're operating. It may not be physically safe. But if you can stay clear with your own heart, within your own heart, at least you've got that core. And eventually you may find acuities near you where you can show up and be welcomed however you show up. So, um, this was a different kind of episode. Normally what happens is people come on and they bring me their problems. And, <laughs> but in this case, um, it feels like it was a joyous conversation. And so I just want to thank you both uh, for taking the time. Well, it's been, it's, it's felt joyous for us too. Um, we actually don't get to share about cuties much yet. Like we do with our own community members, but sharing it with you is super special. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think we're eager to start sharing a lot more and, um, we really appreciate that this is sort of, this space is being provided yeah, thank you so much, Sherry, for giving us space to reflect and rejoice in what we've accomplished in this year and what we're hopefully going to accomplish in the next year that's to come. Mm-hmm. And it was a also a cathartic experience to talk about where this business is coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're really welcome, and you know Virginia knows this, but I'll extend this to you as well, Iris. Welcome to the Reboot family. Thank you very much, Jerry. Yeah, thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get all Reboot podcast episodes by signing up at reboot.io slash signup. There's a link for that in our show notes. I am Dan Putt from Reboot, and you've been listening to the Reboot Podcast. Thanks for joining. <laughs>